Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks family. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out no matter how hard it rains in my city. Welcome to Real Hot Talk. We definitely know what we're doing here. Uh, the professionals are taking the time off, so it's just me and Jeff here, um, you know, seeing how badly we can mess things up. Uh, I'm gonna turn this over to Jeff. He's gonna he's gonna run the show tonight. Uh, I got voted off the island after last episode, uh, and then we'll have Griff jumping on here in a little while to join us again. Super awesome uh, to talk about the offensive side of the ball, all the prospects that we. Uh, just ignored last time uh, we're going to get to today. So uh, while we wait for, for Griff, Jeff, how is, how, how have you been? How is Canada treating you these days? Yeah, it's all right. I'm all right. It's, it's a weird time where the draft is Thursday mm-hmm. night. And like, I couldn't be more excited about this, but the Raptor game, the Toronto Raptors game is the same time as the draft essentially. Is that going to be game seven or six? Game six. Okay. So I told a good buddy of mine today that I'm far more interested in the draft than the Raptors game. And they looked at me like I was the craziest fucking person. Like, do you remember they compared Do you remember the NFL, the, the video game that came out called like NFL head coach where yeah. you get to play games. You just got to like make moves. Mm-hmm. My it buddy compared, Madden without, without Madden. Yeah. It's like, that's <laughs> what you're like. I'm like, am I that bad? I'm I'm very I don't know if it's just me because Canadians don't really care about the draft that much and I don't know it's one of my favorite weekends of the year. I, I will say you know if you were if if this was the Kawhi year, 
and you were interested more in the draft, then the Raptors might be a little questionable. But, you know, the number nine pick, uh, it's going to have a lot longer, um, more lasting impact in probably, than probably whatever the Raptors do this year. Well, okay, so that's what I tried saying. I don't, I don't really. <laughs> they didn't buy it. They, there's some of my buddies are just like they're they're such optimists, and I'm I just view things like unemotionally sometimes, and I don't know. You I don't think I don't... Pascal Siakam is gonna take him to the promised land? <laughs> You're asking the wrong guy. I'm not. I'm like <laughs> the least biggest Pascal Siakam supporter. But yeah, so it's it's a pretty crazy week going on. What's going on with you, man? Uh, yeah, I'm just uh, desperately trying to clear out enough work stuff ahead of Thursday so I can check out early and make sure I catch all the draft. And, uh, I, I hear there's rumor of us doing, uh, pick reactions. So I think you can't make that, but I think we're going to try to get that together with some of us. So that'll mm-hmm. be fun. But yeah, no, uh, you know, same old, same old for me. Yeah. It's, it's good. We're doing that. If you guys watched our shows the last few years we started doing the pick reaction shows the last two years um if you saw all of our reaction towards jordan brooks i think all of us were hanging our head in shame and we're saying this now before griff comes on who's probably either the first or second biggest jordan brooks supporter on this planet and last year it was just me and brian i believe and brian was just crushed with the creed humphrey thing and I, Mm. i think it ruined his entire season and I, I still think Brian's like optimism towards the Seahawks is still room from that moment. So we're going to have you on. We're going to have Brian on. And Evan's always good for a reaction. And Evan's been digging, digging a little more into the draft. So Evan is busy talking himself into uh, Desmond Ritter, I think, right now, which we will hear a lot more about here in a little bit, I think. You know, that surprised me. That's not Evan at all. Uh I, yeah, I don't know. Evan can talk himself into things. He talked himself into Jason Myers. He can talk himself into Desmond Ritter. So, <laughs> oh, speaking of quarterbacks, here I have a special treat for everybody. Um, we're gonna get uh, the the best quarterback in the draft. Oh, here, there we go. There we Popped go. off his head a bit, but that's all right. So for those, buddy listen- Carson here for the night. Yeah, those listening online, not watching us, uh, it's a, there's a Carson Strong picture, and Nathan always changes background for the moment. And, yeah, so we got – last week we covered defense. We went pretty in deep. If you guys heard Griff, he had an awesome start of the show. The last, And we actually had to do it twice. It was so good. But he came out, just, like, really got in deep on the new defensive scheme. We went over a lot of the, the prospects that were covering defense. There's a lot of talk that that could be the first pick. But tonight's show is going to be purely focused on offense. And we're going to – we're waiting for Griff to come on a bit. He, he has to get some things organized before. But just going over what we're going to talk about tonight, we're going to spend a lot of time on quarterbacks. Obviously, Russell Wilson's no longer here. Um, everything now – every pick Seattle – Wait, has. what? Where's Russ? What happened to Russ? <laughs> it's been a tough offseason. <laughs> Russell is not on the Seahawks. It's still weird to say. It's still weird to write. How'd you feel seeing him with that Denver stuff yesterday? Did that hit you at all? I'm dead inside. I don't know. I don't have emotions or feelings anymore. <laughs> I was kind of the same. Like I know some of the guys on our podcast, like every time they see it, it just hits them. And I'm sure there's other fans who are still struggling with that. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just like, I just accept that the Seahawks aren't good anymore. And so I just don't feel much about that, but 
You know what was a kick in the gut is I wish I remember who it was now because it was actually a pretty astute little catch. But uh, somebody tweeted that I think he probably tweeted at you too uh, a video of Russ just doing warm ups th- thrown out in the field. And uh, he asked if Russ's throwing motion looked better, looked more compact, if he wasn't dropping the ball as much. And it did look tighter. It looked better. Uh, and that was kind of like, oh, man, are they already did they did they not that he needed to be fixed, really? But like, did they fix him already? It was it like one day with Nathaniel Hackett and he's like, oh, that's how you play quarterback. I'm so much better now. That'll be brutal if he comes out and just lights the world on fire. Like if he comes out and starts throwing the ball over the middle and like reading defenses quickly and like not taking sacks, like it's going to be the worst year of Seahawks Twitter or the best, depending on what side are you on. It's going to be cr- any prior you have is going to be confirmed this year. It's going to be yeah. crazy this season. Uh, so while we wait for Griff, one of the things we're not going to talk about really tight ends, wide receivers. Yeah. We might talk a little about running backs, but probably not. So do you have any, I, I have a couple like later round guys. One, one guy's not so much later round guy, but a guy that I like, do you have any guys from that group that you kind of, you know, not a need, right? They don't, they definitely don't need to tight in, probably don't need a receiver. Don't really need a running back maybe later, but do you have any guys there that you're kind of hoping they, they got an eye on? Yeah, there's a couple. Uh, I know we've spent so much time on receivers the last two years and, mm-hmm. They probably should have taken one earlier in that 2020 draft. And mm-hmm. last year they took Estridge. So you probably argue they got that wrong. But there's a couple of guys I like. Uh, one of them's John Mechie from Alabama. That was my guy too. Yeah. Oh, really? He's, he's coming off an injury as well. And yep. I think that will push him down a little bit. He was a guy like late first, second round guy, potentially a first round pick had he stayed healthy. And if you can get him in the third round, again, I think – the way I'm looking at this draft from Seattle standpoint is I think you could take some chances. I don't know if Pete Carroll will see it this way, but for me, if you could take a guy like Mechie who, who was like a first round level player and you can get him in the third round and you can develop him slowly. You don't have to bring him along. Tyler's getting a little older. It really works well as a possession, as a transition plan. And there's a couple other guys I like. There's a guy named Alec Pierce from Cincinnati. Who's more of like a, a bigger contested catch kind of guy. They don't really have that on the roster. As big as DK is, he's not good at contested catches. But I think Pierce probably goes in the middle of the second round or the third round, and I don't know if that's where Seattle goes. Is there anyone else, like, a little deeper that you like? Or I know I stole your guy, but. No, that's okay. I mean, uh, yeah, Mechie is a guy I really like a lot, uh, partly because of the injury. I think, yeah, like you're saying, most years he wouldn't really be in the conversation, but because, you know, was it an Achilles or an ACL? I think it was an ACL. Yeah. So, you know, because he might slip a bit, um, he's really interesting. He's really, you know, a, a technician, right? I mean, he's athletic and everything. So it's not like he can't, you know, run or is an athletic, you know, it's just slow or something. But he is a really refined route runner uh, and, you know, does all that kind of stuff really, really well. So I liked him a lot. Uh, welcome, Griffin. We're talking about uh, John Mechie. Uh, do you have any John Mechie so- thoughts? What's up, guys? Hey. Uh, cannonball at Cannon balling it right into John Mechie. Yep. Um, I do not. I haven't watched it. <laughs> well, you're missing out. <laughs> I actually, I, um, I've only seen him like from watching uh, Jameson and I'm like, oh, pretty good player. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like a guy that, I don't know, is he like a second, third rounder to you guys? Or... I think yeah. with the injury, you should be able to get him in the third round, at least. Yeah. 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 
Well, we were just we were just talking about other positions that we're not really going to hit on tonight. Receiver, running back, tight end. Like most teams need skill positions. The Seahawks are pretty much the opposite. It's like the one thing they're actually good at. Yeah. And so we'll shift the conversation now. And again, now that Russell Wilson is in Denver, and basically every time the Seahawks come on the clock, you have to be thinking, are they going to take a quarterback? And there's yeah. a lot of people who think this is not the draft to do it. The consensus is this is the like a bad quarterback class. It's been compared to the Geno Smith draft. Griff, you've had a little bit of a different view, not on Ritter as much. We'll get into him later. Yeah. But just in the state of the roster overall, your view consistently is a lot different than like you go on Evan's view, or I'm sure you see some of those, or Ben Baldwin's, or some of the other guys who are pretty open. Sound you, you've come across more of like this team is a quarterback away. Um, I like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I do lean. Um, I do I do lean. I guess what people call the optimistic view. Um, my reason for saying that is, well, I mean, really, I think that they are a high-end quarterback away, first of all. Like, Fair. I think it's – I don't think you can airdrop in, um, you know, Baker Mayfield into this offense, who is a quarterback. Like, he's not a backup. He's a starter, <laughs> right? Um, I don't think you can drop him in here and expect to win more than nine games or more than eight games. You know, you might squeak out seven or eight with him. But um, I think if you have a top 10 quarterback or a guy that can, um, um, you know, feel like he has potential, I feel like you've got a good enough roster there. Um, now everyone goes, well, if you have a top 10 quarterback, you should be in the playoffs most years anyway. But like I, my mind always goes back to how many losing seasons has Philip Rivers had, who I think is a comparable quarterback to Russell Wilson. Uh, Drew Brees is probably a top seven or eight quarterback to ever walk the earth. And he has like five losing seasons with Sean Payton, one of the best offensive minds to ever walk the earth. So I just, I, I think that Seattle has a good, like a good, like situation in general that I think if you drop in a talented quarterback, give him a year or two, I think they'll be on a good spot. I don't think they need to blow up and rebuild. I think they certainly have some weaknesses, but I just don't think they're that far off. And between this draft and next draft, they can really make it easier for um, a rookie quarterback um, to succeed in. Um, but yeah, so it's it's not. I don't. I'm not saying they have a top whatever roster. I just don't think that they are in dire straits, really. No, not that helps. A lot depends on what they do at tackle because I'm making that assumption that like I that's how I was thinking to end the season. But baked into that was that well, Dwayne Brown will be on the roster and Jake Curran played. I thought, well, and so like, are they going to even play next year? Are they going to be on the Seahawks? So that it, it depends on if they can maintain, I think, how the offensive line ended the year, mm -hmm. um, which is a lot easier said than done, obviously. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Nathan was big on pointing out how good the offensive line was on our shows. And when all the Rashad Penny was stuff was going on, Nathan was one of the guys who was just pointing out kind of, how big the, the holes were that they were opening up and how most running backs, which is very on brand. But today we're mostly going to talk about quarterbacks. So when the rush trade goes down, I remember this at the time, the talk coming out was that the Seahawks really liked Malik Willis. I think Matt Miller one of the, or one of the big media guys tweeted out that that was the cause. There was a lot of chatter about that. And when Willis had his pro day, the Seahawks were there. There was a lot of talk he was going to go potentially as high as second. Then everyone thought maybe six, maybe eight, maybe Seattle yeah. takes them. And you'll still see a lot of mock drafts 
with Willis. He's considered by a lot of people the top guy in this class. So, Nathan, we'll let you get started with Malik Willis. I, I don't know if I've heard your full opinion of him. A, do you think he is a fit for Seattle? And B, well, how do you view him overall as a prospect? I mean, Willis and really a lot of these quarterbacks are just kind of a microcosm of the entire class, right? Where, like, there are some things to really like, but they all just have this Achilles heel or fatal flaw or this big question mark that just, you know, makes you a little hesitant. Um, so with Willis, you know, I think we've seen a lot of really toolsy quarterbacks come in and succeed, right? Um, Mahomes is one example, although he was much more polished than either Willis or like Josh Allen. Um, Josh Allen, who I thought was, I mean, he was terrible. I thought he, he was a bad quarterback at Wyoming. Um, and he was a bad quarterback for a couple of years in the NFL too. Uh, but, you know, he had the physical skills to, you know, earn the job and stay in there and he was able to develop and now he's a very good quarterback. Um, so I think you can look at Willis in the same vein as those guys and, you know, Mahomes and Allen, they all went around nine, I think what, like 10 and 12, right? Is that where they went? Um, something like that. Um, so, you know, I think you can definitely look at Willis and see that type of a quarterback, but, you know, playing at Liberty, the level of competition is extremely low. Sometimes um, he has, you know, uh, clear flaws, right? I mean, there are times where you're screaming at him to just slide or throw the ball away for the love of God, throw the ball, ball away, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but I think he'll come in and he might be the, the second most athletic quarterback in the NFL the day that he steps on the field behind Lamar Jackson. Um, I think he'll be in that conversation anyways. He's, He's not Lamar special, but he's, you know, something close to that. Um, he does have a strong arm um, at the pro day. They, they had that one clip that uh, made the rounds of him rolling out and then throwing like a 60 yard bomb and hitting the receiver in stride. And so all against air, but you know, he has the arm to do that. Um, so he'll need to come in and he'll need to learn a lot and he'll need to adjust to the speed of play. And he has some things about him that, you know, I mean, he could Robert Griffin, he could be a Robert Griffin, right? Where he just never learns to slide and injuries just never allow him to become what maybe he could become. But, um, you know, if you're just kind of projecting and looking at tools, I think he's got a lot of what you want. Yeah. And I think it's funny because his buzz is kind of quieted down over the last few weeks and strange because he hasn't played a game. Nothing's really changed. He had a really good pro day, but I don't know, maybe if people gotten into the film a little more, but the talk on him is really slowed down, which is kind of fascinating. But something I'm interested to hear your opinion on Griff is uh, some of the things that Willis does really well, throwing outside the numbers, the deep ball, and kind of using himself in the run game. I can't remember if it was Ben Solak or Stephen Ruiz at The Athletic. And I know you, you talked to those guys a little bit. They wrote an article that I thought was really telling last year that Russell and some of the stuff we've talked about, the limitations that Russell had over the last few years, throwing over the middle, how he was actually a very bad fit in the Rams style of offense, how he wasn't using the middle of the field, which is like a core concept in their offense. And I don't know. I don't know if you remember that article. He, he talked about that yeah. a lot. So if Russell, who is a much more established version of what we say, Willis's skill set is, if he couldn't do that, does that make you think just Willis isn't a fit for what they want to do with Shane Waldron in the offense, or is that just an oversimplification? 
that I mean, that's such a it's such an interesting question because first of all, like Nathan, I totally agree with your characterization of of Malik. And I think that any team that drafts him, like just embrace like the concept of what Malik is. Like he's a project in, in many respects. So like just embrace that initial roller coaster and see where it goes. But um yeah, as far as like what Seattle Seattle is 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 looking for. And like what you said about what Walt, like what Waldron would ideally do, like yeah, they 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 did not, they didn't run what they did with Jared Goff. Um, so they kind of more or less ran what they've always ran, ran with Russ. Um, so as far as what they want, I think their their intention at figuring out who the quarterback is and thus what the offense is, I, I think that's the that's the order in which it should go. They should have an open mind about what kind of offense they want to run and simply build it around whoever they think the best quarterback is. They might like Malik Willis for what Malik Willis is, and they might like, say, Desmond Ritter for what Desmond Ritter is or Pickett for what Pickett is. And just regardless of how they view them, I don't think they should dock one guy for style reasons. Just who do you think is the best quarterback? And then from there, build the best offense. If they, if that is Willis, or say it's a matter of who's available, say they like many guys more than the consensus and it just becomes a matter of who's available to them depending on how this draft goes um if it is willis for example well just you have you have a you have um continuity with everyone else on the roster they're gonna go oh we'll just do what we did with russ okay fine if they if it's ritter you probably are running maybe a midpoint at least in style of the goff and stafford rams offenses and I think they have the skill sets to make that worse, to make that work um, at receiver. Um, and Waldron, of course, is like, it's right up my alley. I can just call what I did, you know, or what I saw Sean do, McVay do. And then Pickett is kind of like a, a midpoint of the two, maybe. Um, probably don't go as crazy downfield with Pickett as he would Willis. But um, you, you know what I'm saying? So I, I don't think they shouldn't walk backwards from the conclusion. If they, if they really think that one of these guys um, in the first round, at least, is, is the guy, then just let the offense follow smoothly from that. And I think Schneider's probably on board with that thinking. I think Carroll is. I think Waldron is. So I don't think that they're going to put themselves out of the conversation for a guy. I think the rest comes down to, like, draft strategy. Um, yeah, so that, that's how I view, like, that question. I don't think they have to restrict themselves, especially in a draft this week at quarterback you probably shouldn't restrict yourself too much but you also also have to be desperate either so and i I would say too i I wouldn't the skill sets between russ and malik are definitely similar um but i you know malik is primordial quarterback goo i mean he's not a he's not going to necessarily be what russ is um you know, we could probably talk a lot about the different reasons Russ Mayer, you know, didn't want to or couldn't or wouldn't or whatever, right? Go intermediate middle, right? There's a lot of different ins and outs that, uh, you know, different thoughts on that. Um, Malik may have that same thing about him. He may, they may coach him in a way or he may grow in a way that he doesn't have that at all. So I, I wouldn't, I, I totally agree with what Griff is saying. You don't, you know, you, you, you let it play out and you see who you end up with and then you build around that. But when it comes to Malik specifically, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go into it thinking that there's anything he necessarily 
um, can't do. Um, there's probably not much he really does well right off the bat, but you know, it's all about coaching and what he can grow into. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think part of it is to, to fashion, cause I'll just, um, I'll, I'll cut to the chase here. I am pro Ritter here, but I think any team that drafts Willis, especially Seattle, um, the way I frame it, like the, the fashion, the optimistic argument for him is not that he can't do X, Y, and Z. It's that he can't do it yet because the offense at Liberty, they literally were not even trying. So that probably follows from his inherent strengths and weaknesses, but at the same time, push him a little bit. The conference they were playing in, to me, the way I viewed his tape, it was like, oh, they just think they can win with, with Willis's floor as a player. Like his floor is going to dominate them. And that's what they did. They scored a lot of points. He dunked on deep, you know, defenses in his conference, just doing what he does, throwing deep bombs and, you know, uh, running around, being an incredible runner athlete, not just like an athlete, like he's a really interesting runner to watch. Like he's fun to watch. Um, so, but like, yeah, you, you still need like, intermediate concepts you want some more stuff over the middle of the field i think part of the not to get too deep into it but with russ i mean being 510 is an inherent disadvantage and it's not like i always wonder like russ probably can do a lot more but it's just being 510 is what it is like even drew Brees said that six foot flat like i can't see half of what i'm throwing sometimes um baker mayfield's kind of similar one advantage that Willis does kind of speaking to the idea of what Josh Allen became is now he's not six, four, six, five, like Herbert Allen, Mahomes, Mahomes six, three, but being six, one suggests that he can, he does have a little bit more of a starting point. Um, uh, at least with regard to that, like maybe it's not just vision related. I mean, six, one still is short though quarter. I mean, like, I know it's weird to think about it, but there's a reason why historically they're always looking for those six fours boring statues. Like six one is on the shorter side, but maybe his threshold. Um, but yeah, I agree. Like you should still try to do certain things um, with him. You don't just say, all right, we're going to copy paste the Liberty offense. Um, but yeah, so whatever, if, if he's the guy, I'll embrace it. I don't want him to be the guy if, if a beggar can be a chooser. But uh, I'd still embrace the, the whole the whole idea with him. So, yeah, and that was going to be my next question. So Nathan, I'll get your answer in a second. But you you can see just from just like connecting dots why Wills would make sense initially. Where you talked about Josh Allen and Mahomes, those were two guys we know John Schneider really liked. And if Mahomes fell down the draft, I, I do believe the Seattle would have probably taken him. And that would have ended this relationship a lot earlier. And Josh Allen was a guy they talked about trading the number one pick for, for Russell that year. So just from a prospect standpoint, you make those connections and you remember how Russell won earlier in his career with a lot of the run game and opening up in the run game and what that can do for the deep passing game. And that's more of a pure, like Pete Carroll football, connecting those circle, whatever he likes to say. And Willis talked like the thing with Willis is he's so hard to sack too. He's such like a, he's a, he's a tough, big, thick guy. So like Ben Roethlisberger, Cam Newton, not as, tall as those guys but like similar body type in terms of like how hard it is to tackle them but Nathan if that's the pick at nine if they turn that card how are you feeling I'm pretty excited about it um I mean you can you know you can draft theory and and maybe they could have gotten him later and they should have tried in all that right you can you can always do that kind of stuff um but uh yeah I'm really excited like I, I think he has all of the tools and I think he has really exciting 
athleticism and, you know, the ability to run with the ball. He's got the tools in, in the arm talent. You know, he wasn't, you know, completely like a moron playing quarterback or something like he played well. And, you know, he, that was a productive offense. It was lower level competition, but like he, he was a good quarterback. Um, so I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I know a lot of people are like, you know, they want to just avoid quarterback this year. It's a bad class, whatever, go into next year. Um, and I, I get that to some degree, but I think that if that is your approach and that's why you don't want Willis or any of the other quarterbacks that we talked about here at nine, um, I think you're setting yourself up for the same feeling next year and the year after. Um, I do think Willis is a pretty standard quarterback for that you'd be talking about in this range, right? In the teens, at least uh, in most years. So um, it would be a surprise, I think, at this point to me. Uh, I, I, but yeah, I think I would be really excited. It, it would give you, I mean, it would just, it would give you so much to look forward to uh, for the season, at least. I mean, that part would be so much fun. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. He's like the ultimate player that you could just talk yourself into. Exactly. For, for the next few months, like you could just watch the highlights and it, it provides a ton of excitement. But we've been talking about Wills for like 20 minutes and he was like a guy we thought, we thought would go in the top 10. I thought he was a lock for the top 10 when he did that pro day. And now he might not go till 20. Like the idea of him going at nine, I think would be a pretty big surprise. So the next quarterback consensus wise seems to be Kenny Pickett, but I think we want to change the subject. I think we have Griffin here for a reason um desmond ritter so desmond yeah. ritter consensus we knew we could see your handle on twitter um <laughs> consensus wise like the range from like the the vegas odds and the media is his range typically starts like when new orleans picks in the middle the middle of the first round you think about it a little differently and not not taking shots at here you, you've been saying this pretty consistently hold up, hold up jeff jeff i think i think for the ritter section you have to ask every question by starting with ritter me this we gotta you gotta get the the whole thing going yeah so uh, let's just let's hear your cell like ritter and nine yeah let's hear the cell so so what so my thing with him at nine specifically is that i think that's your only chance to get the quarterback you actually want so it is probably in a vacuum of overdraft but i don't think he's going to be there past 20 um, I mean, at the same time, like his the Vegas odds are what they are. Like the over under is like right at the, the back of the first, right? But every every media member that is clued in, they're all saying like, yeah, every time I've talked to is a first round grade on. And there are a lot more quarterback needy teams than we think, and there are only like three guys that you can even fathom an argument for in the first. And there are guys that go in the first anyway that don't have an argument to be in the first every year, even in quarterback rich drafts, it just happens. So, I mean, I think, I mean, I'll get into what I think of him as a player, but you don't have to take him at nine. You can, you can test fade a little bit and trade up if you want uh, from the second round. I mean, you can trade back from nine, get a second day two pick, have three picks in the second round and trade two of those three up to get into the first to get position on Ritter. So you can, you can still get your blue chip positional player at nine, but myself for him as a player is first of all, the, the main weakness is the arm talent. And I think, I think to break that down, I actually think he has fine arm strength. I think arm strength is totally hits the threshold. I think it's accuracy. That is a big problem. Um, from there though, I mean, accuracy is kind of a big term. Like I'd actually say his intended ball location is actually like really advanced. I think like when he needs to put a ball a certain way, but accuracy within that is maybe then a, another 
conversation. So he certainly has a, a huge... Hold on, um, could you... So on that real quick, do you mean like yeah. he has a good concept of where he needs to put the ball, but he can't always put it exactly where it is? Like he knows when to lead or like all, all that kind of stuff, but it's just a matter of execution then? I, I Yeah, I agree. And But he still has enough of a sample of executing that. But it's just okay. he also has... He also has samples like where there's no question the ball should go and he just sails it or underthrows it. And it's just like, what? Um, so, but the way I gaslight myself into, into like, like making it okay, where I'm like, I would take him at night if I had to, um, not that you got to talk me into it, um, is that it's the frequency of inaccuracy. So I think the frequency of accuracy totally fine right up there with some of the other guys in this class it's just that when he's inaccurate he's incredibly inaccurate um and then further and like a lot of quarterback experts i'm not one of them they, they, they talk about how he has a mechanics issue where he overstrides like he steps too far um so with that point um if you look at every single one of his all of his inaccurate throws um they are they're not always accompanied by bad footwork, but they sometimes are like in the actual throw his footwork in the pocket is amazing. But I mean, the, the throwing part, it's not, it's, it's, it's not always accompanied by, um, by bad footwork, but it usually is all of his good throws always follow from good footwork. Theoretically, you can't control what your arm is, but you can control what your feet are doing theoretically. And that's something he got better at year to year. So if he can simply control where his feet are a larger percentage of the time, which is something that he's talked about, Jordan Palmer uh, has talked about Carson Palmer's little brother, then he's just shrinking the percentage of inaccurate throws again, theoretically. Um, as far as the positives go, I think he has surefire first round, easily the best of this class, like processing pocket movement. He knows how to create and structure with his feet, as in like he knows when to speed up his drop. He knows when to slow it down to the timing of the play, uh, work out downfield. Um, he throws guys open, I think, um, when he's anticipating. Uh, he's so aggressive. Like for a guy that isn't strong armed, he gets kind of put in that that Alex Smith, Teddy Bridgewater field. But I mean, he's he's way more aggressive than they are. I mean, if, if the safety gives him one reason to throw a post, he's throwing it. He's throwing it early too. Um, as a, as a processor, as, as executing everything of the play up until throwing the ball, I think he is like checks every single box run of the mill top five pick even. It's just the arm talent is bringing him down. But going back to the, the whole idea of, um, you know, frequency of accuracy versus frequency of, of inaccuracy. And then looking at, I, I really think that just the inaccurate throws are so inaccurate. They stick out in mind more. I think that you can still think he hits a threshold of uh, being in a of 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 being a viable quarterback. Um, like when we talk about Malik Willis, of like, oh, but look at the traits, look at what he could be, which I totally understand. But I think the the idea of what somebody can be, wanting to bank on somebody's positives, I think he has enough positives that you can fashion an argument for saying, but I want to bank on that. Um, so that that's how I see Ritter now that's just what he is right now when you talk about making a projection to the next level i think uh if you get him in the right offense he's playing in a gun spread open wide split offense and the way it's designed the the he, he can't over rely on like 
like boundary throws in, in college, the way that a lot of guys do. He's making a lot of throws to the field on inbreaking and outbreaking routes. That's essentially a bigger throw than it would be in the NFL. Like literally the same throws in the NFL, a lot of those inbreaking throws to the field. So when the ball's on the hash, if you just measure like the hypotenuse, like take out our calculators and the Pythagorean theorem, the ball, the, the distance on the same routes, the same play calls in the NFL downfield are the exact same, but the literal distance the ball is going is shorter, which is to say he's going to, he might hit more of those throws in the NFL further. If you get him in offense, like say the Shane Waldron offense where it's condensed splits, the ball has even fur- less further to go, less far to go. Um, and I, th- I think, uh, a lot of the inaccurate throws are when like the overstriding thing is when he thinks he has to like really load up for it. Well, if those balls have to go a shorter distance, then he's probably now this is where I'm entering the fan fiction realm of what he might be thinking. (laughs) He might be thinking, well, I can make this throw. It's more makeable. So then ironically, he's then using better technique on the throws that he thinks are more makeable. And like, there will be this positive feedback loop. If you put him in a, in a, uh, an offense, like, um, like what Shane Waldron has. So I just, for me, I like you see. Well, what's the path for a guy? I just feel like you can you can cull from his NFL experience the circumstances that would that would reveal his weaknesses and shrink his experience to the ones that that rely on his strengths. And I just think I just see it with him, man. Um, like as a style comp, I see a combination of um, I see a combination of like Matt Ryan, Dak Prescott. Um, uh, and Ryan Tannehill. Now, arm strength wise, there are about four top 10 quarterbacks right now that do not have beat arms. So precedence wise, I think that's, I don't know if it'll ever be top 10, but I think you can be in that nine to 13 range. I think that's um, plausible. I don't know if that's the most likely outcome. But I think that's plausible. And if he becomes his peak self, I mean, I think he can be Dak Prescott. So, um, that's how I view him. That's my pitch. Now, re- really quick, my my that's my number one quarterback wish. But then also Nathan, you'll probably like this one. I really, I also like Carson Strong quite a bit, and I think he'll be there in the third or fourth round. And I take a flyer on him. I think he's a solid quarterback. So, but yeah, that, that's my that's my whole pitch with uh, with Ritter. And Nathan, where are you on Ritter? Um. I think something Griff said in there is what really sells me on Ritter that if you're going to look at Malik Willis and say he has all these tools and what could he be, right? And you say, yeah, he's not always the most accurate, right? And, and so he, he's not he's not a perfect quarterback, but he's got a big arm. He's all, you know, all that stuff. Uh, why can't you do that with Ritter? And so, you know, I, I was watching, I went and watched his UCF game today, kind of getting ready for the podcast. And, you know, he had a back-to-back, there was three plays in a row or, or basically three plays in a row. And one, it looks like he starts pre-snap. He, he looks to the right and he likes what he sees, or, I mean, I assume he likes what he sees because the play ended up going there. Um, but, you know, ball snaps and he looks, he's reading left, but he immediately snaps to the right. Uh, and with very little hesitation, gets the ball out on like a deep end or something, hits the receiver, it's like a 15-yard game. And so, you know, you, when you talk about a quarterback who's processing it, and it, it just seems like he, you know, like he, he was seen through the matrix on that, right? And it's UCF, but like it's still a matter of pre-snap, knowing, knowing what he expected, you know, 
having the the ability and the confidence to look it off and not, you know, keep staring that down and then come back to it and hit it with, you know, right where it's expected to do or where he expected it to be. That's awesome. And, and you start to really, you know, get excited. And then the next play was something similar where, you know, he uh, starts reading left, comes all the way back to the right and hits, hits a deep in um, and, and it's great. And then I think the the very next play in the series, they're down on like the five yard line or the 10 yard line or something. And back leaks out into the flat, backs wide open. Um, all he has to do is just lay it up for the dude and he will walk into the end zone. And he somehow manages, manages to both like overthrow it and throw it behind him. And so the back has to like jump and twist and spin and he catches it and falls. And, you know, the linebacker, uh, I mean, he's down because college, but linebacker would have been right there to get him um so you go like okay you did all this amazing stuff and then you just flub it on an easy thing and you know you don't get a lot of opportunities in the nfl the margin is small and so right it you watch that and you're like man i just don't know like the accuracy really is bad sometimes like like griffith's saying like it's not frequent but when it's wrong it's like dead wrong um but why can't he improve on that if why if josh allen can do it why can't Ritter, right? If you're projecting things out of Malik Willis or whatever quarterback you like, why can't Ritter? Why can't Ritter get a little bit of extra arm strengths maybe with his mechanics and improve his accuracy? So nine is like a little scary for me with Ritter, but if that's what they end up doing, um, I'll talk myself into it pretty quick. Yeah, and there's a lot of chatter that they might be looking to move back into the first round. There's a lot of talk about the first year option. If Ritter's on the board, say in like the mid twenties, is that the ideal spot for you, Nathan? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, again, now you're starting about talking about trading up and how much you give. If you're giving up like forty and forty one to go up to twenty something and pick him, that's a little that makes me queasy. But you know, I mean, yeah, assuming <laughs> that there's nothing crazy happening, yeah, I think if you can get up and get it in in the mid twenties and get him, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's interesting. Just the points you guys made is just. From just a Seattle standpoint, Ritter is just so different than Russell. And just his strength is probably processing and just processing defenses, reading defenses, making the right decision, not as dominant as like the moon deep ball. Um, has the potential to be like a really accurate over the middle player. Is this a situation where like you break up with your girlfriend and you go with someone the exact opposite? Or is this just like reactionary? Yeah. Yeah. Or is this like, or do you just think he's just a better fit for how they want to play? Yeah. So like the, the one thing though, is that because Ritter relied on his buddy, Alec Pierce, um, Cincinnati, he's basically their DK. Um, and so that's where he could be inaccurate, like on go balls, like just deep sideline balls. But again, that, that's the thing. Sometimes you throw a perfect one. It's like, buddy, just do that every time. Right. <laughs> um, but, but Ritter w- would make it easier or Pierce would make it use easier on, on Ritter quite a bit. So now while DK Metcalf, isn't the biggest go up and get it guy. I mean, he probably gets like his sep- vertical separation on vertical routes, like just the distance he puts himself between um, himself and the, the cornerback on sideline shots that gives you so much margin for error. The connection isn't going to be as good with Russ, but I think like for as for the deep ball accuracy goes, at least on the sideline, I think is plenty of arm. Because if you think about it, college hash is you're literally closer to the sideline 
than you are in the NFL. I still think he has plenty of arm. The DK Metcalf is like the perfect year one receiver for him, at least to, to, to be able to access the sideline. Um, I also think he has like really good um, uh, like back shoulder uh, anticipation, timing, location. And maybe that's something which Russ did with, with DK actually quite a bit. Um, I think that's something that DK would help him on, like embolden him to like really fire it in there before, before he breaks um, the, the receiver does. So, and then simultaneously, like he throws a lot of deep posts um, in college. I mean, Tyler Lockett is like one of the best, you know, post runners in the NFL that he also gives you margin for error. So if he underthrows one, um, Lockett gets so much separation, he can, he can run under it, track that ball and he'll still get, he'll still, um, they'll connect enough times. So I, I think that they actually have really good personnel for him, um, for his weaknesses. I think like when you think about what receivers you want for quarterback, you approach it from two angles uh, for a quarterback that has weaknesses. You want to hedge for the weakness and then you want to reinforce the strength. Lockett might be able to reinforce the strength a little bit with him. We might see more of Lockett's game with the quarterback stylistically like Ritter. Um, but Lockett also can help and DK can help hedge for the weakness with Ritter, especially for year one, year two, as he's trying to get used to um, get used to the NFL. Now with Willis, DK and Tyler would reinforce his strength, and that would be super exciting, right? Probably not going to be as good as Russell Wilson. Um, and also, Russell Wilson, I mean, his default process, it's not just, you know, a big, strong arm. I mean, there's a process to it. There, there's, there's a lot of thinking pre-snap, trying to make sure he knows what the safeties are doing, confirming it post-snap. Um, like when Russ spends all that time pre-snap and he throws a, a deep bomb after it, that's because he's making sure he knows what the safeties are doing or he's trying to undress the rotation or something like that. So, I mean, Ritter or Willis may not necessarily, year one, at, be able to access a lot of those same routes that um, that I say Wilson did, but when he throws it, it'll look real nice. And, you know, Ritter might be the opposite of, of Willis. He, the ones that he misses will be inaccurate throws, but he won't miss opportunities. He'll, he'll, you might see equal amount of attempts because if his brain will let him get there. Um, so it's a little bit of pick your poison, a little bit what's available. I don't know. I mean, in the perfect world, I wouldn't take him at night. The perfect world, take the blue chip positional player, find a way to take him in the twenties. I don't know if he's going to fall beyond 20. I know the Steelers like, it seems like the Steelers like Ritter. They also like Willis, a bunch of teams like Willis. If Willis, if if one quarterback, if one quarterback goes in the top five, I think you're going to see a run on on QB. So I, I don't know. I feel like you're playing with fire um, if you like one of these guys because you don't have to like them because there is next year, you know. But what if you miss out next year too? So it's so yeah. the teams after Seattle that potentially could be interested in a, in a quarterback. So you have Washington at eleven. Uh, Houston at 13, they're probably not real desperate, but I don't know that, you know, Davis Webb is keeping them from drafting a quarterback. Uh, and then you have New Orleans with 16 and 19, uh, which, you know, they're one that could potentially jump up, obviously, with that much draft capital. Uh, and then Pittsburgh at 20. Uh, so, you know, if you do love one of these quarterbacks, and maybe you should, you think they shouldn't, but if they fall in love with them and they decide to take one at nine, like I'm not going to knock them because that guy could be gone in a couple picks, right? Um, so 
uh, I, I, people are so, there was so much talk about this being a bad quarterback class and in some ways, yes. Um, I think the last podcast that we did with Brian and everybody, I talked about this quite a bit. If you're Detroit, this is a shitty quarterback class for you to have at two, right? You don't want to take any of these guys at two, but when you're talking about taking a guy at nine or, you know, wherever in the teens, these are the kind of guys you're going to be picking from in basically any class. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's a really good point. And we talked about those guys. Uh, then, but the other two guys that Seattle's been tied to, and if, say, Ritter goes or Wills goes, and they still want to get into that first round to get a quarterback or with one of their seconds, the other two guys they've been commonly tied to are Howell from North Carolina, Sam Howell, and Matt Corral, who has the obvious ties to Pete Carroll. He played for Lane Kiffin. Pete and Lane Kiffin, Monty Kiffin, they go way back. There was that picture of the combine. Between those guys, uh, like those guys, exactly what you just said. They fit the classic second round, late first round quarterback prospects. They've got their flaws. They've got some things you like. Nathan, is there any of those two that interest you at all as like a trade-up guy or a second round pick? Or is that just is that just desperation? The, I... I, I wouldn't. I mean, I definitely wouldn't trade up. Um, Corral is a guy that I could talk myself into if they if he fell to forty and they took him. Um, he's a complete wild card to me. Uh, um, he's not. He he's kind of like Willis, except the tools just aren't nearly as good. Like they're they're C plus tools across the board, B minus tools across the board, right? Like so yeah i would much rather pass and yeah, there's going to be interesting guys there at 40 and 41 that could be like legit starters for them on offensive line or defense so i would prefer prefer not and what about griff do you like corral or howell at all or do you see a fit there yeah i'm right there with with nathan i mean i don't know what kind of the, the offense you'd have to run with corral in the nfl would be kind of uninspiring i feel like it would devolve into what jimmy garoppolo is doing with san francisco you can still score points. They score points in San Francisco, but it's probably has an expiration date on it. Even like the best version of it, just like, you know, Jimmy G's time is running out in San Francisco. So I don't know if you want to do that. I can, if they take them at 40 or, or 41, we can just like say they strike out and they just want to take a flyer on them, which I don't know if 40 is a flyer exactly. If they do, if they were to take him though, we can, assume that they know everything there is to know about him, Jeff, like what you were saying. Like Pete probably has heard every opinion there is to have from the people that matter via Lane Kiffin. So if they take him, that's probably a vote of confidence to, to an extent thinking we can have an operable offense with him, right? And screw it. You take a quarterback at 40, that doesn't stop you from taking a quarterback next year if, if one becomes conveniently available. So, you know, uh, why why not? So um i could just as easily seeing walker gino winning the quarterback battle over corral though you know what i mean Howell, he's got a big arm but i don't i can't i have not watched enough but i just not inspired by him there's some weird stuff in the pocket even though he's like a pocket passer i don't i don't know man um i would rather going back to nathan's guy i would rather take just punt on all quarterbacks if willis and ritter aren't in their in the cards and see if strong's there like at pick 107 or nine, whatever they pick at and just roll with that. I think he would win the camp, camp battle if, if he can actually get on the field. So 
Yeah, I'm with you guys. I don't love the idea. Again, I talked about this initially on our show before. There's an opportunity cost, a pretty big opportunity cost to this. And one of the great parts about just how Seattle's positioned in this draft is that they do have 40 and 41. And we've talked about it on so many other shows is there's a huge opportunity cost and just burning one of those picks if the quarterback doesn't work. We talked about like the depth of pass rushers, potentially like Abe Lucas, a right tackle, which we'll talk about in a little bit, some of the tackles. But to me, to like move up just to get a guy so you have them in the fifth-year option and give up all this capital you've built up on a team that does need work, to me, that would make me really uncomfortable. Corral, like I know he has the tie to Pete, but like he's coming for an offense. It's primarily RPOs. It's a huge jump up. Um, I thought the Jimmy Garoppolo comparison is pretty good. I think that might be a mm-hmm. ceiling. And he's a guy who's just a lot of the offense they ran was Lane Kiffin, college gimmicky stuff, and just like processing at this level an offense that's built on like deception, it's going to be a big adjustment. So I don't love the idea of that. Howell to me. Yeah. He just something about it. He, I know he has the good deep ball. And I know it's like skill position, but they lost like Javante Williams and a lot of guys went to the NFL last year, but to me, it just doesn't get me that excited. So for me, I'd rather just sit, spend the second rounders on core positions and build the team up elsewhere. But Nathan, we got to give you your shot here. He's your background. I don't, I don't think we care here at much talk about Kenny Pickett. I just don't see that as a fit. So let's hear like, let's Carson, Carson strong thing. Let's, let's hear your pitch. Why do you, why are you so high on him? So uh, this is gonna, people are going to think this is a hot take, but I, I think there's a tier one of quarterbacks and I think it's Malik, it's Ritter and it's Carson strong. Um, the, the, Big knock from just a playing perspective on Strong is he's not particularly mobile, and there's a a reason for that probably. That is what's really, I think, hurting his draft stock. But when you talk about tools in terms of arm arm strength and arm talent, he has all of that. When you talk about processing, he's not quite at the level of Ritter, but he knows how to, you know, go through progressions, read to the backside, do some of that stuff. Um, Really pretty deep ball, you know, the, the reason that I think I, the way I'm gaslighting myself is, you know, this he would be talked about as a first round quarterback. He would be getting first round buzz if it wasn't for his knee. He uh, apparently had a um, uh, it, it is effectively a meniscus tear, but it's a, uh, a knee condition that apparently is somewhat common in teenagers and especially athletes where part of your meniscus the cartilage in your knee uh the loses blood flow and it dies and so he had to have a couple surgeries on that um meniscus tears are like not uncommon they're not career ending or anything like that um but i think the question with him is with that being a like a, a condition, a medical condition, I don't want to, it's like a genetic thing, I guess, basically, you know, is it degenerative? He didn't just bend his knee wrong and tear some of his meniscus and had a surgery and, and life goes on, right? Um, there's some possibility, and I'm not a doctor, and from what I've read, it doesn't seem, I haven't seen anything that clearly points to one way or the other. It might have just been a thing that happened when he was a teenager, and it'll not happen again, and he'll be fine, or it's potentially a degenerative, degenerative thing. With how little attention he's getting, and for how good, at least I think he is, actually playing football, I, I think teams are spooked. Um, maybe based just on 
it sounds scary or maybe based on something more significant in his medicals. So, you know, we can talk about him as a third round guy, a fourth round guy. I'm not going to be surprised at this point if he slides even farther, potentially completely out of the draft. I mean, he might end up being an undrafted guy if teams, just depending on what the medicals are. So I think he's really talented. I would, without a doubt, take him above a corral or a howl or a picket. But, you know, what's going on in his knee? Right. Yeah, and that's that's it's really well said because coming into the year, and this is the danger of always saying like, oh, the 2022, 2023 draft class looks great. Carson Strong at this time last year was a, like a consensus top 12 pick if you talk to people. And he came in and he was he got hurt and his knee was not holding up and his film has crazy upside. But well, the way the draft boards work is if people just don't grade out medically or the doctors don't give them pass a grade, they come off the board entirely. So that's how you see some of these guys take like nosedives in the draft. It's not that they're just like going on the PFF simulator and passing on them. They just follow their board. And if he's not on the board, they just go to the next name. So it's pure. I think like, I think Griff, you said it last week, I think it's purely medical of him. And because I think the talent, I agree. I think the talent is more, far more impressive than a Howell or a Corral or even a Pickett who Pickett this time last year was like a fourth, fifth round guy who had a really good final season. So I see what you're saying there. Like, if you can get him and just take a flyer, why not? Yeah, he, uh, he reminds me of he, he reminds me of Nick Foles, and Nick Foles could have had. I mean, he had some really good seasons. He had some good stretches. If, if Nick Foles probably is, you know, talking to himself, wishing he had a, could, have, could have had a career redo. I mean, he had he has the tools and traits too, and he's a you know, so. You know, if Carson Strong's in the right situation, if things break right, I think he can be a starting quarterback for a long time. Um, like the 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 need didn't just affect his mobility; it affected his throwing too. Mm-hmm. Like he probably has yeah. an even better arm than what we saw. Like I don't know if he has a great arm, but he has a good arm, and he's good accuracy. Like good is good, right? Like not everything has to be a superlative. He's a solid player. Um, so yeah, he's he might be. He's probably my third. I probably stack him the same way you do, Nathan. Like, if he's there in the third or fourth, I mean, if he's there in the fourth or even fifth round, I would take him and Ritter if he's there, just because the quarterbacks have, I mean, teams have done that before. Um, Washington took RG3 and Kirk Cousins. Um, why can't you take, you know, uh, Strong there um, on day three if he's there, just for fun, even? Um, he's probably going to be a better backup quarterback, even if, if he were to become the backup than, than Locke or Gino. So, you know, why not? Um, yeah. So draft strategy, I think is what makes this conversation the most interesting. One thing, uh, I, I will say, Jeff, I don't mean to get ahead of you through trying to get to a next topic, but there are, there aren't just more blue chip quarterbacks next year. There are more blue chip players, period. Yeah. And with the, this is not the best draft to be picking at nine, although I think they can get lucky and like a really good player could follow them. But when you traded for Russell Wilson, some of that draft capital is going to be have to be used up on a quarterback. Like, I don't think every pick can be made without a trade up if you really want your guy. So I think there is some argument, there is a argument to be made that maybe taking a quarterback this draft allows you to leave your capital next year untouched and you can go crazy on position players. BPA, all that, because um, they're going to have a lot of capital next year, like a lot. Um, if 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 they're going to punt on 
they're going to punt on a quarterback this year, the blue chips that have position players available to them will not be as good next year. The strength of this class really is day two. Like there are really good day two players. So I don't know. That, that, that's just another consideration. If you think that Ritter or Willis can be good enough to make your team uh, functional the way you want the quarterback position to make your offense functional, then maybe there's an argument to just kind of leave capital next year untouched. But there's also an argument against that too. So, I mean, the counter argument is that CJ Stroud is really good. So, or whoever your quarterback is, right? Like the Kentucky guy's pretty good. I'm not that familiar with them all, but you know, so I don't know. All I know is it'd be really exciting if you didn't have to trade up next year and have to like um, lose your draft capital because next year is really exciting too. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point because, yeah, just looking at this draft versus last draft where you saw, like, some of the guys that went at, like, seven, eight, nine range, like Panay Sewell and Rashawn Slater and Parsons and Patrick Sertan, like, those guys are pretty high-level prospects. Some of those guys would go number one in this draft class. And, like, Parsons would probably be the number one pick, and Slater might be the number one pick. But yeah, so – Next year's class that they have the pass rusher from Alabama and all these quarterbacks. So it's going to look if Seattle's in the top 10 again next year, there's a lot of ways you can go, but I guess we've been going for almost an hour already and we've only been talking about one position. So I think a lot of the consensus, I know I was talking, I put out my list of how I would rank like Seattle's board at this point. And a lot of people are hoping that one of the offensive tackles falls to Seattle. I think that's probably the most common. They, We've this has been talked about by everyone. They only have Stone Forsyth and basically Jake Curran as their tackles right now. Might even be a bigger need just by the way you have than quarterback. So they have Forsyth at left tackle, Curran who played okay at right tackle, but he's just got athletic limitations. I don't think you projects as a long-term right tackle. So Seattle's picking a nine, and the way the draft is starting to shape out, it's starting to feel a little unlikely that a Neil or a Kwanu who are probably two of the top consensus tackles, slip to nine. I think most people feel if one of those guys do, it's a pretty easy pick. Between those two and Charles Cross, Nathan, do you have a preference? Are they all graded pretty equally, or is there anyone you would be specifically into? So I, I have this broken down. So I like to think of quarter, uh, players in tiers, right, um, where, you know, uh, if, you, if you put players in the same tier, you know, if I say, you know, it's, it's tier one is let's say Equanu and Neil, that's not actually my tier one, but let's say it is right. And you say your tier one is Neil and then Aquanu. I'm not going to argue about like, okay, who's first in that tier. Right. But if you're going to put somebody, if you put Equanu in a tier two, or if you're saying, you know, someone tier two is better than tier one, then uh, that's where, you know, I'll, I'll start to, to argue. Um, uh, if anyone's listened to the the dunked on podcast, I, I do the, the exact same tiering system as them, basically. But uh, uh, so uh, long story short, Evan Neal to me is in a tier one by himself. Um, and then uh, I think um, Ekwanu and Cross are guys that um, they're very different. Um, but, you know, at that point, you're just kind of, it's what you want, right? I think Ekwano is more of the upside bet. Cross is probably the safer bet. Um, but to me, I think Neil has the best combination of upside and, you know, current ability that he's the one that I would clearly take above the other two. Yeah, so just yeah, going through it, the, there are three tackles. Consensus is that 
Neil and Aquanu are probably the top. The third guy is more, uh, some people have him a bit lower. Some people have Charles Cross as the best of the three. Um, Aquanu is more of like the zone blocking left tackle. So schematically in Seattle, he's a great fit. Neil, I think, can fit into any scheme. I think, I know Brian had Neil as the number one player that would be on his board entirely over anyone. And Cross is a guy you just get wild reactions to. He's coming from the air raid offense. So he's a little different than those two guys coming from more traditional offenses where we saw what happened with Andre Diller. That's the comparison pro teams ask about a lot. Do you have Griff, do you have any of the three? Do any of the three worry you? Like how, how would you just talk about those three guys? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly with you guys. I think Neil is, he's number one. He's the most, you know, he just has everything. Um, Cross is a guy, especially in pass protection, he's just a little more like extreme in terms of like the movement skills are there, but like Neil isn't lacking it. It's just that Cross is just so far in that direction. Like he looks like he could guard Kyrie Irving one-on-one type of movement skills. Like, um, and then the run blocking, it's nowhere near uh, Neil's level. It's not bad though. You just have to hunt for those. And part of it is like, they just don't rep it a lot in that offense, like you said, Jeff. So um I don't think Seattle would be dissuaded and a lot might again, determine on what direction they take the scheme, because you could argue that you don't need your left tackle in the, like the most pure way they scheme with golf. You don't need the left tackle to get like immediate movement in the run game. If you're not going to gun run, but the way they did it with the way Waldron did it with Russ, you probably do want the guard to get, or the, sorry, the left tackle, to get more immediate movement and gun running. So like, that's where Neil is like the perfect, like midpoint. And then in has all the potential in the world in pass protection. Also, he's just super raw. So it's like, how do you, how do you weigh all those things? So, um, you know, I, I would like any of the picks at nine. Um, I think I'd probably go, uh, Neil cross and then Econu, but Econu could be just as good as the other two. You know, it's just a potential thing. Right. Uh, like i think he has the potential to be the best of the bunch but i think he is currently the worst of the bunch and it's not even close um yeah i agree if you go watch his clemson game he's just bad um and like getting manhandled bad but the the reason that he's up in this discussion is that he has like you know uh he's kind of the same thing he's got really athletic feet he looks like he could guard you know some of the nba basketball players right um and while cross is uh like by far the best pass protector today um a lot of what he does is that's one of his really special skills is like a recovery ability so like even if defenders start to get him crossed up he can recover and and he stays on guys really well and he, he doesn't you know he doesn't lose a lot of reps the worrisome thing is he's having to recover a lot, right? So mm-hmm. if you kind of start to think about, okay, if it, this goes to the next level and you know, you're playing against a higher level of competition, can he still recover the same way? Um, so, you know, uh, it's, it's really interesting. I think with uh, with Icky, right. That I think he's, I don't have him close to either Neil or cross in terms of what he is today, but if you just look at the, Again, the tool set, right? He's he's the Malik Willis or the Trayvon Walker of offensive tackles, I think. Yeah, that's a really good point. And the way the draft is sort of positioned, we've talked about this isn't the top 10 quarterback draft where Detroit is, has this guy like Justin Herbert fall in his lap. 
So you look at all the teams ahead of Seattle and I pick nine and you see the Jets, the Giants, the Panthers, the Texans, and there's just a lot of needs on the offensive line for that's why team bad teams typically are bad. So in a draft without quarterbacks, pass rushers, left tackles, those are probably going to get pushed up a little bit. So it's hard for me to see a scenario where Neil or Aquanu does fall or even, I think the one guy, depending on what Carolina does, whether that's a quarterback or whether the Giants take him, Cross, the thing with Cross is he's probably the, maybe the best pass protector of the three, but he's probably the most needs to learn how to run block just coming from the offense. Griff, do you see that as something that Seattle might be worried about based on just how Pete Carroll talks about offense and how they talked about being a balance? Do you think they would like him? Because I know Albert Breer came out today. I tweeted this, that Albert Breer mentioned this in his mock draft, that Cross is a guy that Seattle has graded very highly. So do you see him as a guy they you do you think they, they would like him or do you see that run blocking as an issue for them? Um, man, I, I don't know because the left tackles that they've invested in and really there's only two, Okung and then Dwayne Brown. Those guys were really balanced players. They could do both. You know, like at the time they acquired Dwayne Brown, he could do both. Okung, you know, as a prospect, he's like, well, the guy can do everything. So it's kind of like Neil, right? Um, so I they clearly value value both if if it's reported that they like charles cross that's a good sign it probably speaks to what they think of his potential in run blocking because they're still going to ask him to run block you know regardless of how much they they run or or don't run they're probably going to run a good amount to where it matters so um it matters that he is good at it that that said i I didn't mean to say that running matters um but uh but yeah um his tape isn't horrible. Like, again, I'd still call him like a decent run blocker. He's just not like, you know, road grader 3000, you know, this guy's a monster, you know, like, but he's fine and he can probably get better. So that's the only way I view it. Um, I hope though that Pete and John are like deferring to like the, if you're going to promote Andy Dickerson, let him coach the way he wants to coach, give him the players that he doesn't say, no, I don't want that guy, you know, like let him, let him impact process so um if they like him it's probably means that they think he can run block down the line so how much of a shift do you think there will be with seattle's offensive line philosophy the types of players they wanted like solari had kind of a type he had he he had a preference i think for bigger bodies um well to some degree i I guess you can shell's not like a big road grader 3000 either right so does dickerson change a lot there do they with outside zone uh, running more, does that change the profile? I I really don't know. I mean, I don't know what is scheme related and what is just preference and, and they don't care what the scheme is. They just block, they like just teach guys certain ways. They just like certain traits. Um, I think the way that they rostered in LA though, if that's our guiding light here is, is more related to, to scheme. The fact that, if you're not gun running, like if you think about the back path, even if it's inside zone or outside zone, gun versus under center, it, there are still different things going on because like if it's shotgun and Russell Wilson's handing the ball off to Chris Carson, and it's inside zone. Carson's path is like North immediately. And like, oftentimes he's bending behind the left tackle. Even They need to get movement immediately. They need to dig the, the, the three technique and the defensive end and the one technique the combo with the center and the guard, like they need to get movement like right now. So from that follows, it's hard for a six, eight guy to get leverage on those guys. Right. 
it's hard. You, you want, you know, guys that can get low enough and get movement right away. Um, and then if you think under center, well, the, 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 the backside of the play, the cutback is still incredibly important in under center outside zone, but like the left tackle or the, sorry, the backside tackle, whether it's left or right, they have three, four steps to get momentum to kind of like get the guy moving. Right. Because by the time the running back is hitting that hole, the left tackle is almost in a sprint, you know? Um, so I, I, I don't know, maybe it's just personal preference. Callahan teaches it or um, Callahan and, and McVay and stuff. They taught it a little bit differently in Los Angeles than the way like Shanahan does, even though like they, they were, they worked together in Washington. So I don't know. It, 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 it might depend on what kind of offense they're running period. So, and they don't know what offense I, I don't think they know what offense they're running until they know who the quarterback is. Again, it's not like a night and day difference. There's a range of things, right? They can still like lean toward one part of the spectrum than the other. So um, that said, they should roster just with an open mind and think maybe versatility. Like we need to account for what end of the spectrum we land on. So I basically don't answer for you. I don't know. It's a good question because you're yeah. right. You're right, Nathan. The the Solari did have a type, and you look at the first signing they made when he got here was DJ Fluker, who was just a remarkably different player than what Tom Cable would have had. And you look at they, uh, Damian Damian Lewis, a left guard, like he fits that kind of body type of like these giant guys who can just maul in the run game. And she, yeah, Shell was a little different and. Steve Hutchinson's come on board the last few years as well. He's, I did believe he's doing some evaluating on offensive line in the front office, but it's going to be really telling to see if they shift more to purely what the Rams are doing. They, they promoted them and some of their guys just aren't scheme fits. And I think Pete made kind of a clue that Gabe Jackson is I don't know what his future's like with Seattle. I don't know where he fits in this offense. And they have Phil Haynes who we've spent way too much time talking about on these shows in the past, but let's the next question. And, if you followed me on Twitter, you know how I feel about this next guy. So the, one of the mistakes that Schneider and Carroll have made in the draft is going into drafts and hyper-focusing on one position. And if they don't get that one position, instead of uh, pivoting or shifting elsewhere, they just tend to take the next guy on the list, whether that's overdrafted, whether that's a trade down. The consensus fourth tackle in this draft is Trevor Penning, who's not LJ Collier as a prospect. Trevor Penning does have – he's like a 95 – percent athlete he's got incredible size he's got a lot of stuff that does really well but to me there's chatter and i think this is just dot connecting because they know what seattle's like historically they hear how Pete carroll talks and they know that penning is like a physical he wants to be known as the guy who kicks your ass or ray roberts on michael sean's podcast and saying he's a guy you want to fight so i, I want to hear like do you guys have strong thoughts on penning nathan do you do you like him? I don't know if we, like, we want to talk about him as a trade down option or a pick at nine, but like, what are your thoughts on Penning? I know I've been very against drafting him at nine. Do you share that or do you see it a little differently? Very against drafting him at nine. Um, I think after cross, there's not really, there's two things. One, I don't think any of these guys starting with Penning or whoever you like next is worth more than, you know, probably mid twenties really. Um, maybe early 20s. I mean, it's a premium position, so it'll get pushed up a little bit. Um, so I think there's a clear talent gap, first of all. 
Um, but then I also think it's it's very there's like a glut of guys in in that kind of tier, right? Uh, from from wherever you start to look at them in the twenties through like, I mean, potentially all the way into the early third round. There's a lot of guys in there that I like. So um, I'm kind of a two minds on penning like i watch him and i don't get quite why people hate him so much uh like there are people that are just freaking out about seattle drafting him and if you're talking about it nine i get it but other than that like i don't quite get the hate um but then i don't want them to draft him at nine at all either so (laughs) i I don't really know what to do with penning right now (laughs) what about you griff where are you on him yeah like i see the um I see like the the combine. I actually think his footwork as a pass protector is pretty good. Ironically, for how he's talked about though, he's kind of soft. Like he can get bull rushed, and now he is really tall. But then also like top of the arc, the edge rushers that like to like really break down tackles arms and get the corner on you, like really earn it. He's kind of soft at the top of the arc too. So I don't know. Is it a technique thing? Does the a really good offensive line coach just want to get their hands on him and like, oh, you should do this, you should do that type of thing. Um, he is a good run blocker. I don't think he's a great run blocker. I think he's a good run blocker. Um, and he does, I think part of the hate train form is he pulls a lot of bullshit on the field. Like, what are you trying to prove type of stuff? Like, it's late. It's like you didn't, he, he wants to end every snap thinking that he bettered the guy he's going against. And like some of the times, like he got his ass whooped. Like just own that you got your, you don't need to, you know what I'm saying? Like he, he, he's a, a glory of, boy, a lot of a glory, boy, a lot of eye rolls watching it, but he's not, he's still a good player. And I think he's yeah clearly in that second cluster. And there is a gap, like Nathan said, um, there are other guys in that tier though, that if Seattle can't get a tackle at nine, I would still be really happy with some of the picks. Like one of the, one or two, not three of these guys are bound to drop the 40, 41. So um, like, I would be like, Hey, that's a, they got that guy cool you know what i mean at 40 so oh know. you know who he is he's jermaine effetti that was that was my i was i said tweeted the other day he gives me so much jermaine effetti vibes and he does have i think a higher ceiling i think he's got like a joe staley kind of ceiling if he hits but just watching him at the senior bowl and like griff you think you cover this perfectly he, he was trying too hard to prove he was tough and I know like yeah. Duke, Duke Mannyweather and Jeff Schwartz that just did a show with him. I've come kind of pushed back on that. They say he actually does have that personality. He's not like that, but uh, I don't know. Like he kind of reminds me of a Fetty where he was trying so hard to be tough guy at practice. Then yeah. he gets in the fight with Michael Bennett. And then I think him and Sherman had an incident and he just never. And that, that's what scares me. And that to me, he has a, a Fetty floor. And I tweeted that exact thing the other day. So to me at nine, if they pick him at nine, it's a sign that like this front office doesn't know what they're doing. I think that's, it's a, to me, that's a clear sign of it. Again, if they trade down, they get some capital and that's get used to get Ritter that's used for other things. I think that's okay. The funny thing about Penning is like if Baltimore or the chargers take him, they have their rosters established. He goes in to be like a developmental right tackle. Like the big media is going to be like, Oh, that's a great pick. Like that's a hell of a pick. And if New Orleans takes them, there's a lot of talk about that. It's fine. But if Seattle who's kind of trying to rebuild their offensive line, kind of put like lay yeah. the groundwork, to me, that's just the floor is too low. So I, I, I agree with you. I think I'd rather just wait to the second round and just take a shot on someone there. So to me, that just the fear is taking him at nine. But I do think it's a lot of just basic dot connecting. 
because you know, not, not only does he have Jermaine Fetty vibes to me, to me, if Tom Cable was here, he would be like the number one <laughs> yeah. pick. To me, he's like Tom Cable's ultimate prospect, and like that's what scares the shit out of me. Yeah, yeah. But like the next tier is what, like Tyler Smith and mm-hmm. Bernard Raymond and Abe Lucas from Washington State, who's kind of similar to what we talked about. Cross, Nathan or Grip. Do any of those guys jump out to you, especially, or is it just take whoever's there? Any favorites yeah. in that group? So one guy you didn't mention, uh, Rashid Walker, Penn State. He is, so he probably is my he's probably my fourth favorite tackle. I would think I probably have him above Penny, but that, that's assuming. So his issue is he's just inconsistent with his hand usage, basically. And so like he'll have one game. It's like why are you hanging yourself out to dry against guys that are known for their knockdown moves against OSU? You watch OSU and you think third rounder. And then you watch Michigan and you're like first rounder, a surefire first rounder. So, I mean, you'd love to just like ask him, like explain the Ohio State game, then explain the Michigan game and like what is going into your prep and whatever to, to play the way that you did because it's deliberate. Like he's hurting himself in that game. It's not something out of his control. So my thing is being the optimist. Well, if you can just clean it up, he's like a – everything well just about like what you could want in the left tackle so that's how i view him um uh i liked tyler smith a lot i mean he reminds me of cross in terms of his movement skills and pass protection but he's doing it at 320 something which is really impressive incredible feet he's just so raw and he doesn't look he looks like he's just like like oh am i like he got airdropped into a football arena and is being asked to play left tackle and he's like I'll try this, uh, like snap to snap, but he makes it work because he's so athletic and he's like all the traits, like a lot of tackles, like, Oh, he's really athletic, but they're not very strong. Well, he's really strong too. Like it's crazy. Um, so I would imagine that like offensive line coach would be like, Oh, let me get my hands on him. Let me coach this guy. So if they take him at 40, sure. I don't know if he hits their height and length specs, Bernard Raymond, however you pronounce that, if I didn't know that he was going to be 25 and if I didn't know he had 32 inch arms and if I didn't know, like he's barely played football, watching his tape superficially, even against like LSU and some of the better colleges, I would think this guy's really good. Um, then, okay. Then apply the, okay, he's going to be 25 and he's got T-Rex arms and stuff. Okay. Yeah. I don't know where you can take him. Fortunately, we probably don't have to worry about him being a Seahawk because of the length specifications. So we can probably just eliminate him from having to bemoan the fact the Seahawks drafted a 25-year-old left tackle. So we don't even have to go there, fortunately. Um, if he's there in the third round, though, I'm not going to complain. Take that. I mean, he's, I mean, again, superficially, just like what you're watching, he's so good as a college left tackle. So um yeah, I don't know. Those are my thoughts. So Abraham Lucas is another guy I like, but really good movement skills, kind of similar to some of the other guys. But then, like, he's getting powered really easily. Now, the game where that really concerned me because it kind of puts his traits into focus is against Oregon. It just made me feel better about Thibodeau. Like, okay, Thibodeau's legit because he's doing this to Abraham Lucas. But you want to see him put up, put up a fight. Um, I think he's skilled, like, technician-type stuff, but he's – he looks like he has good density, but he can get moves pretty easily, and he's not that good in the run game. So 
again, I think he's worthy of 40-41. He might fall to the third, though. That could be an option at 72. I think that's a really good pick there. I don't know. What do you guys think about those guys? I can't split them. I mean, another one that uh, I would throw in there is Zach Tom. Um, he's uh, he, he's kind of a Bernard Raymond type, but he doesn't have – he's a, not quite as old. His arms are a little longer, tested super well. Um, you know, it shows up on tape, but, you know, a little bit of a smaller guy. And so, um, I, I like, I think – the one that would excite me the most is Tyler Smith. If they can pull him at 40, I, I think that's ideal, but yeah, I mean, like there's a whole range here and a lot of it's going to come down to just where do they end up going? Right. Like you yeah. said, Bernard Raymond, I wouldn't trade up for him, um, but I would be pretty happy to see him walk away with him in the third round. So that's going to really decide. And that's, that's for me, the, the penning conversation too. Like if they can get him at 40, I'm awesome. Right. If they try to trade up to 20 something to get him, I'm going to be really mad probably. Yeah. Um, the, I think the takeaway is Seattle's in a pretty good spot to figure out tackle uh, or to at least, you know, do, add something interesting, add something meaningful uh, at the tackle spot in with one of their second or, you know, the third round pick. Yeah. And you don't need to force it, right? Like if you go in and you don't get the tackle you want, Dwayne Brown's still out there and you still have some money. And Eric Fisher hasn't been signed and Brandon Shell at right tackle. So there's you can patch the hole for a year, push the problem out to next year. If you have Dwayne Brown with a rookie quarterback, that's not a bad situation at all. But yeah. just moving along. Uh, well, wait, on, on that note though, Griff, do you want to give Stone Forsyth a, a, a shout uh, out here? My uh... – so my thing with Stone is that I would I would throw him in there with some of these guys in that second cluster. Probably have him after Walker, after Penny. Um, just comparing tape to tape after Raymond. But again, Raymond concerns there that are valid. I'd probably put him right above Raymond and above Lucas. Um, there's another guy that I think is actually pretty good. His combine might drop him a round or two. I don't know if he ran hurt. He plays so much better than his Max Mitchell. Um, I was actually really impressed with Mitchell, um, even against better teams, because he played for Louisiana Lafayette, so not good competition. But I think Forsyth is above Mitchell, too. Um, my deal with Forsyth is that, like, he checks off a lot of boxes. Like, first of all, height and length is there. Uh, combine was good. Um, Weight-adjusted speed score was, like, really good. Um, he, he played in a, against tough competition. Um, he had lots of reps, so like a lot to evaluate. And then statistically, his his uh, pass block efficiency by PFF was like he was giving up pressure like three point something percent of the time. And comparing that to this now, I don't know how that actually projects and translates um, to the NFL, like what the year to year correlations are and stuff. But th there were only two tackles that are draftable this year that were sub four percent pressure. Rate. So he's right up there with him. That's a good against good competition. He has some marquee games against guys that are like marquee games against Jermaine Johnson and Aziz Ojalari at Georgia. Now granted he, Johnson was a year younger, but to me, I'm like, this guy's a starter in the NFL. Um, his weakness is his anchor, but I think he finds his anchor late in games, at least at Florida. Once he like can read it because he's such a consistent blocker. He uh, are consistent, like technique wise. He doesn't, he always, is dictating to um, he, 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 what am I saying? He is consistent. So he's making the pass rusher decide what they're going to do. 
once he reads power, he, he tends to find his anchor late in games. He doesn't have a natural anchor, but if he can read power, like that's half the battle, then he can prep for it. I think he should be a starter in the NFL for some team. I think he's that caliber of player. That said, he still was a sixth rounder. So it, it, a lot of guys had him as a second and third rounder, but he was a sixth rounder. Why was he? It's, that's a valid concern. I don't think Stone Forsyth should stop should stop them from taking from looking at the guys at nine or looking at the guys 40, 41. He also has played right tackle though. So throw him into the mix, you know, the competition, see what happens. Um, but uh, you know, I think he's better than say Abe Lucas, and I like Abe Lucas. So I don't know. I don't yeah. know how to view that. It's weird. No, it's a good point because he might be more of a hedge than he's almost a forgotten man. And like when Seattle drafted him last year. I think it was the first offensive lineman they've ever drafted. Like all of the offensive line experts were applauding. And he was a guy that had second, third round grades. People just didn't see him as a fit in Seattle because his weakness was run blocking. Yeah, and for sure. Yeah. It sort of indicated maybe a shift in their thinking, and that'll be really interesting. But you're right. He might be looked at as a totally different kind of hedge than we're realizing. And maybe if – yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say really quick, interesting – detail that i mean i remember schneider saying they were going to trade up for him uh, he didn't say when but i would imagine probably fourth at the highest fifth round uh but he was a dropper though i mean there's maybe maybe his true value was fourth round but he still he still fell regardless of where he should have gone it's a really bizarre one he even they even asked him in his press conference like why'd you fall dude he's like i don't know <laughs> um so i don't know what's well, a weird situation um yeah Okay, so yeah, we've been going for a while now and we've covered a lot of players, but basically the last position group I think we should quickly touch on is the interior offensive line. Um, they signed Austin Blythe at center, one-year deal. It sort of indicated a shift in terms of, terms of like pure size. I know Pete's talked about they wanted smaller, shorter offensive center interior line. Tyler Lindebaum's a guy who's a little shorter. He might be a scheme fit, but he might be drafted too high for the range. Two second round guys I think would be really good fits would be second or third round guys, Cole Strange and um, Jurgens from Nebraska. Nathan, is there anyone interior offensive line? Because the guard position might be one of their only strengths on the offensive line right now. Is there anyone that excites you in first, second, third round? Uh, I, I like Zion Johnson. Um, he's guard center um so i think you could do different things with him depending on how the guard position shakes out like you were saying earlier i don't think gabe jackson's like a lock um haynes is still a pretty big wild card lewis hasn't really developed so i, I don't think it's crazy to take someone that you know maybe is primarily a guard but he can also play center and i don't think Blyze is blocking you from doing anything at center so but he's gonna fall in kind of a no man's land for them i think he, he's someone they probably have to trade up for which would be pretty weird to do uh at that spot um so after him the guy i like a lot is cool strange um uh in part because of you know he's gonna end up going maybe at your third round pick um i don't know what to do with him in terms of like so he tested off the charts his spider web is awesome um he's a little smaller but like tested super well um his tape is fun to watch like he's mean and hits dudes and pushes dudes around um but he played at chattanooga right so you there just is a small school discount whether there should be or shouldn't be like those guys just go later right but then like ali marpet played at hogwarts or hogwarts or whatever and he went 60 something so i don't think it's a guarantee he gets to their third round pick um 
So he's someone that I could see them considering at 40 or 41. He had a he had one of their official 30 visits or whatever they're called, top 30 visits. Um, so he's a guy that's really interesting to me. Griff, any, anyone jump out to you in that interior I, offensive lines? I haven't watched any of those guys, so I, I, I defer defer to you guys. Um, yeah. My only thing is, yeah, like, like what is the need? Like you said, they're probably set on the interior, at least for this year. They even have Haynes waiting in the wings. Uh, Gabe Jackson has like 6.5 million guaranteed this year, but the next year you can get out of his contract really easily. The only way he's not on the team this year is if they trade him for every reason uh, where you can insert hands or a draft pick competition. I don't know, but yeah, I just, I don't, I think the third round, like Nathan said, well, that's where it could get interesting. If there's a guy they really like, I mean, good players are good players. You're talking about the third round who cares about, you know, need and positional value. Like if you think this guy can be a good starter, take him at the third round. So um, that's how I view that. Yeah. I've, I've heard good things about both of them though. Zion Johnson and uh, strange. Yeah. Obviously Linderbaum is like generational, right? At center. Yeah. I don't know if he actually is, but there's, <laughs> if generation is like a year, then sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think everyone's still bemoting the Creed Humphrey thing last year. Oh, right. Okay. There's, <laughs> yeah. We're still, we're still trying to figure out if Austin Blythe is going to last longer than a year, but yeah, Lindenbaum's a good prospect. I think Zion, I think it's a great call. I think he's one of the cleanest prospects in this whole draft. I think because of positional value, he'll drop a bit, but like Vera Tucker went like 13 or 14 and he was traded up pretty high last year. So I think Zion Johnson is someone who might go a little higher than people expect. If like they trade down and took him, I, I know he's a guard, but he, it would actually be a pretty good pick, but okay. So last two days, last two weeks, we've covered so many prospects. We've been going for an hour and a half. We'll probably wrap up on this question. Unless you guys have something else you want to chat about. I have one thing on, on, kind of on that note that you just said, and, and this is general draft stuff, not just offensive guys or, or anything. Do you guys think that uh, I feel like no one knows what's happening in this draft this year? I tweeted this <laughs> yeah. out and like, cause there's, there's all kinds of conflicting stuff about like, you know, the draft, look, draft Twitter does not get everything right. And um, they, there's always a guy or two a year with draft Twitter that like they love and uh, you know, he falls and, you know, goes, he's a fifth round pick or whatever. Um but like, there's such a disconnect between the guys that all the uh, on Twitter and and I feel like most of those guys are have gotten good, really good actually. Um, you know, compared to like six, seven years ago, there was some definite you know variability in quality. But like, if you look at the top level guys that are doing draft analysis, they're pretty good. They know their stuff. <clears throat> and so, it just feel like there's a big disconnect. And then you can look at like year to year, right? With um, like you were talking about, um, who's who's the guard's name again? Um, that you just mentioned, Jeff. Uh, Zion Johnson. No, the guy last year that got taken. Uh, Vera, oh, Vera, Vera Tucker. Vera Tucker. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like, why is in a better, in a supposedly better class, why is someone like Vera Tucker going high and then Zion Johnson is going later, right? Why is uh, Derek Brown going high a couple years ago and Jordan Davis is like maybe not even a top twenty pick? Um, and then there's weird stuff too, like Malik Willis, where for a couple weeks, he was a consensus, like the number two pick. And then suddenly again, like, is he even a top 20 pick? There's just so much variability that I think we're going to see a lot of surprise. I don't know if the teams will be surprised, but I think 
fans will be surprised. Jermaine Johnson is now a top five pick. Like he's a lock to go number four. And last week we were like, eh, I don't really get it at nine. <laughs> like what is yeah. going on? Yeah. And, and it's funny because I was about to bring this up. I, and I, I got, I was getting DMs when you guys were talking from one guy and he was bringing up a report today that I think it was Tony Pauline was saying that he's under the impression Seattle is going to trade down to 15 and 16, take Penning and then trade up for Ritter at 28. Like reports like that to me are like insane. Not because that could very well happen, mm-hmm. but like you're just hearing just wild things from different people. Yeah, and it's very specific, isn't it? That's right. what I mean. That's like you teams don't leak that number one and two. That's way too specific. Yeah. Like if what happens if Penning goes fourteen? Well, you're just, your plan is ruined. You don't go into drafts with these plans, so you're going to hear a lot of stuff. This team likes this player. This team likes this player, and the ranges of opinions this year are just wild. Like Jermaine Johnson's a great one where I think Doug Farrar had him as his number one edge guy. And then most of us are like, what? Like he should but be now it seems t- to have come around. And now I, people are talking about him being like a lock for the jets and stuff. That's what I mean. So there's yeah. a lot of lying going on. Nathan's pointed out so many times about how lying season works. And this week is the worst kind of it. So guys calm down. If there's reports coming out, they're going to do this. They're going to do that. Teams don't leak that. There's no benefit of doing that. And you don't go into drafts right. hyper focusing like, we're going to take this guy. Like what if Thibodeau slips to nine and then your whole plan goes out the window. So right. everyone needs to take a deep breath and needs everyone's a lot relax. And in two days, we'll finally have answers to all this stuff. Yeah. But I was going to wrap on this. Like we've talked about all these guys, so many things. What is your best case scenario? Most realistic. What are you hoping for with pick nine? Me first. Yeah. you can, We'll go with you. Th- one so one. like you, just for the sake of discussion, I'm going to eliminate quarterback from it. I'm going to limit. You can't trade down. Like say you can't find a partner. I think Thibodeau is the number one. I think he's just the most exciting year one, 2022 move that you can make. Um, Yeah. That's my pick. How about you guys? Yeah. I think if you can't trade down, I think you have to be really hoping, you know, if, if Thibodeau or Neil gets there, those are two guys that you you take maybe even if you can trade down, right? Uh, you know, assuming no one's doing something stupid, right? So those are the two guys that for me are the no-brainers. Um, both of the cornerbacks should probably be mentioned there as well. Um, but I, you know, I, I still am holding to my Legion of Boom era cornerback priors with how Seattle drafts. So um, that's the only reason that they're not mentioned there for me. Yeah, I can agree more with you on those answers. And I know that I thought Ben Baldwin, he tweeted out a list of like the consensus top first round rankings the other day. And it really crystallized the draft for me. There's like eight guys that are very clear of who the top eight are. Yeah. And Atlanta ahead of Seattle has just totally different needs than the rest of this group. Like they don't need to tackle and they don't need corner. So it made me think like one of those eight guys should make it down to nine. And whether that's Cross, Thibodeau, Stingley, and those are the three guys that Breer happened to mention, those three guys would get me the most excited. I'm a believer that I don't think Seattle should trade down if they do and say they take Jordan Davis. Like, I, I'd be pretty into that one. But I think they should take – if one of those eight guys are there, I think they need to come out of those, this draft. And I think the way Atlanta is supposed to pick, they might take a receiver. A quarterback might go ahead. I think one of those eight guys should be on the board. So if it's Cross, if it's Stingley, if it's Thibodeau, Stay there and pick them. I think that's what this team needs. Yeah, I, I would be 
uh, you know, yeah, if those guys are there, I think you stay there probably and take them. But if you can get a haul to trade down to 15, right, maybe Stingley gets to you and you can leverage that into getting something big um, somewhere in that range and you can get maybe some future draft capital or, um, I mean, there is a lot of talent in that, you know, from probably like 25, 30 to 50. Um, so if you find another way to add a pick there or something like that, um, that's really enticing, right? Move, move into the teens, take Karlaftis, you know, maybe give yourself some extra ammunition to trade back and grab uh, a Ritter if he does fall into the 20s. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot you can do at that point. That that right there is my number one. Well, so I want, ideally, I still want three picks in the first two days, but I want to be able to get an edge, a quarterback, and a tackle. And I think just the most, that's probably the most plausible way that can happen is if you want the quarterback, you have to take them first round. I don't know where in the first round, but Nathan, like you said, if you can trade back from nine, still take an edge, which... I'd add Epicady to that conversation too, along with Karloftis. If they're there in the teens, I really like Epicady. I think he's going to be really good. I think he solves their problem. You can get an extra day two pick. So now you've got four, use two of the four to then trade back up, get your quarterback, and you still have another second round pick to get the best positional player that's left, whether it's tackle, maybe Kyrie Elam is there, corner. But I think that's the only way you can get all three of those guys. I just don't think Ritter or Willis falls to 40. I just don't see it happening. So, um, but yeah, Thibodeau would still be my number one um, favorite. Back to what you guys said, though, about isn't it ironic that uh, the year that it feels like the draft is the weirdest in terms of consensus is probably the year that we've all watched the most prospects, too. Um, (laughs) It's kind of maddening, isn't it? Yeah, because of, uh, you know, like we got all these picks. We're in the top. Nine. As soon as we got top none, I was like, oh, shit, I got to watch more guys. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's funny. Fun stuff. All, all we're asking is that Seattle manages to come away with three red chip players at the three most important positions, quarterback, edge and left tackle. That's all. Not, not a lot Schenner to ask here. No, it's a small job. And I, if John Schneider can't do it, he should be fired. Yeah, Seahawks fans are easy to please. That's all we're asking. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not stressed about this draft or anything. Yeah. Uh, but I think we'll wrap on that. The draft is now 48 hours away. and Two days we'll finally have this puzzle, at least the first part of this puzzle solved. And then I'm sure you'll hear from the three of us online. Uh, we'll have the full cast and crew going for the draft in the two days for sure. Nathan, Evan, and Brian are going to be doing live pick reactions on Thursday. That might be one pick. That could be two picks. And there could be a quarterback drafted. So you're going to get a lot of takes from the three of them. You're going to get wildly different takes from the three of them. I'm tied up, and hopefully we can do a post-draft show. But that still remains to be seen. But it's been a lot of fun talking with you guys the last two weeks. Uh, We covered so many prospects. And it was nice that we came up with this idea because our whole first draft show was spent on Baker Mayfield and that was a waste of time. And so thanks Anyways, for guys. hit the subscribe yeah. button, like our podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for everyone for staying with us these last two times. Uh, again, give us, give us a like, give us a follow comment on Apple podcasts and send feedback. And uh, we look forward to a big, one of the biggest weekends for the Seahawks coming up in a long, long time. So 
enjoy it. Try not to stress out over these rumors the next two days. I know some people are struggling with that now, and it's going to be fun. Oh, oh, and the, the draft clues are fake. They're not real. They don't mean anything. I am ecstatic yes. to uh, try to desperately guess who they are, but they don't, they're not real. They're not real. They're only real if I can connect them to this. That's, that's the only scenario. <laughs> if I ever get one right, then that's the real one. But all the others are fake. <laughs> all right. I think, are we done? Are we done? Yeah. All right. You need we're, to turn this off. <laughs> we're great. We're good at this. Okay. All right. Bye, everyone. Are we still live? <laughs> uh, yes, we are. <laughs> Bye.